are a minority of one. The truth is the truth. Good evening everybody and welcome to The One Podcast. My name is Joe Ward and before we get started tonight I would like to remind you that at any time you can download this show right here on SoundCloud. We are always free, always independent but most importantly always united as one. Tonight, I'd firstly like to thank my incredible team, who have not only created an amazing rebrand, but also kept the ship afloat in my absence. But you didn't come here tonight to hear us talk shit. No, you came here to hear some shit. So our very first guest of the new era is someone that a lot of our listeners will be familiar with. His work in law enforcement was groundbreaking, and second only to the voice and advocation he has given to survivors with the incredible John Wedger Foundation. So please help me welcome to our newly shining platform the very man himself right my name is john wedger i'm a retired metropolitan police detective i specialized in child abuse investigation and i came to prominence um sort of circa 2017 for my role becoming a whistleblower into the deliberate cover-up of child abuse and child prostitution investigations i now campaign for justice for victims and survivors and and I've, I've gained local national and international recognition for my efforts if you could kind of explain a little bit to us where did this process start for you of thinking no something's not right in the system here i have to take a look into this well um i, I had no intention whatsoever of do, dealing with any sort of criminality involving children it was not my ambition to do so. I've always said in my interviews that children have found me. And it, it seemed to be that it was the only area of policing where you actually do make a difference. Because and when, when a child is abused, when, when they think that if justice takes its course, that the perpetrator is sentenced, convicted, cautioned or whatever, then that's it, finished with. You know, it, it's been cited, not, not only in, in religious scripture, but also... In, in social science has seen this, that it takes three generations before the, the damage is filtered out. Three generations. That's provided that the next generation from, from the victim doesn't go on then to offend themselves and likewise with, with the preceding generations. So I, I first um, started looking into this by default and I was asked to do some field intelligence into transient paedophiles. So when sex offenders had a requirement to register where they lived onto the sex offenders register in 1997, they were going missing. So I was asked to look into it, but in a specific environment, and that was the uh, inland waterways of, of London. But it, it ended up being a global thing because sex offenders were running off and they were living on canal boats. Um, and then once you're on a boat, you can move about with impunity and you can actually move between countries. And, you know, if you go into like a, a secondary port on the whole, there's every chance you, you're not going to be um, accosted by customs. So some of these larger boats, you know, they're, they're floating home. So kids were being trafficked all about. They were going to be attacked abroad. Pedophiles were running off abroad. The sex offenders were, were living on boats and then grooming children. There was um, seen as respite care for some 
parents and whatnot, and their kids were were, were sent to these centres where they were um, taking kids out on boats, canal boats, and things like that, thinking it was a good idea. And of course, so they were being put with paedophiles. I'm not in any way saying that all people living on canal boats and boats are paedophiles. Of course, that's not the case, and that'd be ridiculous to say it. But there was this hardcore community of, of of sex offenders and some of them very very dangerous sex offenders that were living with total anonymity they were unhindered in their grooming process and no one was looking into them so i was asked to look into it they knew of two and what happened was i found 990 within the first month i then started linking in with other um sex offender monitoring units you know customs and excise the intelligence services um the travel industry, the postal service, all sorts, you know, that I've got intelligence. Um, and we started sharing a lot of information and it was it was a highly successful operation. And because some of my targets started to um, be identified as people of prominence in society, so one was someone who was best friends with the guy who wrote the manual for, for looking after children in care. Both of them were paedophiles. Um, they were both members of this organization called PI, which is an acronym for Paedophile Information Exchange, uh, which had the backing of the Labour government back in the 1980s. And they, they were, were um, openly campaigning for the age of consent between a man and a boy to be lowered to eight years old. So three, you know, front benchers within the, the Labour government, all women, Patricia Hewitt, Margaret Hodge and Harriet Harman were, were patronising this group and even allowed them to speak at, at uh, the Labour Party's annual conference. Um, and then what happened was I was then warned off really finding any more paedophiles because people high up in, in what we would suppose we could call society were, um, were being identified. So it was my first experience, really. It was a baptism of fire. And I've gone from not dealing with child abuse stuff to, to actually dealing with the hardcore element and then getting caught up in a conspiracy of silence. Yeah. Um, I then moved on to a vice unit. I was a detective on the unit. I was asked to look into an allegation made by a young girl that she was being used as a prostitute. She was between 13 and a half to 14 years old. She was in care, and I was basically told, go and see her and see what she's got to say, but she's, she's a liar. As long as you can agree to the fact that she's lying, we'll write the case off. But she wasn't lying. And she went on to tell me about when she was, um, like, in the care system, being picked up and, and used as a prostitute in the age of 11, actually, her. Um, she said, but it's not just me, there's other girls. So she introduced me to another girl who was even younger than her and younger looking than her. And she then said the same thing and then gave me a name of another girl. And on and on it went. It just got bigger and bigger. But exactly the same thing happened. We started getting names of people that were connected to the upper echelons of society. So there was um, a police officer was known as being involved, a man of rank, someone high up in the BBC's music department, a magistrate, and on it went. There was venues such as restaurants, real upmarket Mayfair restaurants, right the way down to crack houses. And these kids were just openly, and I mean openly, pimped out. They were even pimped out in the street. 
It's like a third world country. And we've talked about it on this show previously as well. You know, so many people in society still have this kind of image in their head of a paedophile being this person that lives in a basement. You know, they don't have any networks. And as you said, you know, what we tend to see time and time again is these people are kind of working in groups, working in networks. Can you explain a little bit about that for maybe the people that don't understand? Well, well, they call it paedophile ring. I suppose because of ring, because it's never ending, it, it just interconnects. So you're right about what the supposition of, of a paedophile is. I mean, a lot of people have this thing that it's a white man with milk bottom glasses who's slightly overweight, who's a bit of an oddball and lives with his mum. You know, it's not the case. We, we've dealt with women, women paedophiles. One woman was actually a very flamboyant, attractive looking woman and she was probably the most prolific paedophile I've ever met and without a doubt the biggest trafficker of children met young Jamaican men what we call Romeos these were the ones that would be sent in to really groom these girls for for these big prostitution rackets they could be Lithuanian they could be um, Kurdish they they could be Albanian you know, English, Irish, whatever, it made no difference. And what I say is there's only one secret society you need to worry about, and that is the paedophile. And the paedophile, right, it covers everything. Do you, do you know, we're living in a multicultural, woke society, right? Yeah. Where basically we're not allowed to criticise or mock anyone. And we can argue, you know, the, the rights and wrongs of that. Um, but the paedophiles, they're decades in front of us they don't care who someone is they don't care if their member's jewish they don't care if if the next member's an arab they don't care if the next member's got ginger hair or is jet black skin or is whatever you know whatever age they they even don't care about economic backgrounds right they there's no snobbery in paedophilia right there's there's no gender issues there's no transgender issues there's no there's just nothing they are they make woke people look woke. This is it. Um, they don't care. Yeah. They don't care. But what, what unites them together is their perversion for children. And the other thing with them is, is to do with sexual orientation. They call them trisexual. When With this line of policing, I was one of the privileged few to, to get quite a lot of training into criminal profiling. And I've done a lot more of it since I've left the police than when I was in it. But when I was in it, I was privileged enough to work with one of one of the world's best profilers on, on, on paedophiles, a guy that operated out of Southern Ireland, and I would spend quite a lot of time, you know, discussing the cases and statement analysing and things like that with him. And, uh, you know, they'll be classed as trisexuals. So there might be a paedophile that, that has a liking for young girls, that young girls that are prepubescent and maybe under seven years old. But actually... It didn't really matter if they could get a girl that was over seven, they'll go along with it. And actually, if there wasn't a girl, a boy would do. So it, they, they weren't homosexual, they weren't gay, they weren't lesbian. Um, we called them trisexuals. They would try anything, and they would do, um, as long as it, it, it was a child. And th- these are very, very broken, twisted people. Emotionally, they are absolutely shattered. So whenever you deal with with a paedophile, don't ever try and outwit them because they're they're one of the most deceptive individuals you will ever meet. You know, straight away they are a liar. Mm -hmm. They do this thing, let's call it cry, lie and deny. 
and you know, and they'll start crying. I'm really sorry, and they'll all say things like, "I'm so glad you caught me. It's an addiction. I'm, I'm, I'm now going to stop. Now, this, you're the catalyst. I needed to stop. What I'm caught for, I'm going to admit to, because that's all I've done. It's a lie. They've done. You know, that is just a veneer of, of what they have done. That is the tip of the iceberg. You know, because their life is a lie, and they'll lie to their wives, they lie to their children, they lie to their work, they lie to them, they lie to themselves. Intellectually. They're very astute. So if you want to um, do a battle of wits, which a lot of police officers do, there's a lot of arrogance in the police. And, and you know, you see these interviews on the telly and, oh, they make me cringe when they do these dramas. And it's always um, a woman detective inspector. Let me tell you, you would never, ever get anyone above the rank of a sergeant in an interview room. So when you get these higher ranked officers, it just doesn't happen and it's never happened. Mm. There's only one way to interview someone that's be a nice person you know and that's where you get the most information you you never get anything out of bullying um, yeah. but do a good job but don't try and outwit a paedophile because on the whole apart from the ones that are definitely retarded and you can see that when they do these um, paedophile decoy hunting cases when you get you know the very established paedophiles uh, you know intellectually they will have you over you know yeah. and then they will turn it round so you never talk about yourself because you're giving them a tool to get into them. But you have to talk about them and you have to try and break it down as to what is the emotional lever to get into their psyche. And then because they are emotionally broken people, their emotional gateway will be really at the age when they were hurt. So if, for example, one was sexually abused by his uncle at the age of seven, you're going to get someone who's emotionally stunted at the age of seven. Yeah. So you look for their value system. What do these people value? And they'll tend to value very immature things. Their behavior will be very immature. So anyone who's been in the workplace, well, they've got people that um, are very, you, you know, like petulance. Yes. When someone doesn't get their own way and they stump, and, they, and you know, how many times have you seen that and work with someone? Because you're not doing it as they want you to do. They start throwing a, a massive fit and reporting you and all that. I mean, that's an emotionally broken person because that's not how an adult should behave. Yes. So you look for an emotional gateway. Usually you get it by finding out what their relationship with their mother was like because, you know, the mother is meant to be the protectorate and for a mother to abandon a child and, and the lioness to abandon her cubs and, and, and let another prowling lion attack it, you know, is an abhorrence in nature. So you, you try and find out if that, that had occurred, if their mother had abandoned them. If so, at what age did their mother abandon them? The younger the age, the more dangerous the offender you've got on the whole. Not necessarily. And again, there's a lot of people that were put into the care system because their parents were terrible and they went on to be given placements that were nothing but kind and loving. That This is the importance of us being able to have these conversations in these in these kind of long forms to, to sort of show people of all different opinions that, that this is happening as well. And this isn't a black um, and white I, issue either. You know, there are so many shades of grey in this issue as well. They've done studies, um, you know, on, on societal groups globally and, and not one, one specific group has said that... that, that abusing children is a good thing. They know it destroys kids. I, I have people where I had one guy saying, in the Quran it says that you must abuse boys. And I went, are you... T and I, I, I couldn't even... I had to stop the interview because I'm not even entertaining rubbish like that. Then I've had someone say, the Talmud says it, that they must do this to get... And I'm like, no, you know, 
to turn around and say that all Muslims abuse young boys and all Jews abuse young girls is absolute diatribe nonsense. Yeah. They've, you know, they've even seen that indigenous tribal groups in Papua New Guinea, they studied it, and they found that any member of the group that had a sexual liking to children would be banished to the jungle for a period no less than two years. Yeah. And the reason for that is that they knew that no one alone on their own could survive in two years. So basically, they're sending them out on a death sentence. This is it. You know, and they're getting them, they removing them from society because they cannot be allowed in society because they are a danger yeah. to children. Strangely, actually, the indigenous populations in Africa and in Australia, nine times out of ten, they are actually more outspoken on these issues because it's such a together community. These people get ostracised and they get removed, as you said. Yeah, yeah. And so th there is not one section of our society globally that allows for this. But what we are now seeing is these groups. We started with Pi. Now we're seeing it with the, with the woke community and it's going back to what Pi tried to start up and, and it's a sexualization of children and it's done very very slowly and it's done all trendily and everything else and you know we, we have to be very very careful about this because any society that allows their children to be sexualized is a society that's going to crumble because if you, you start damaging your children you are going to be broken as a, as a societal community very, very quickly because it, it damages them on so many levels. Yeah. You know, it, it takes away trust. It, it, it makes a fear of authority, a loathing of authority. So yeah. anyone with any governance over them is, is coercively controlling them. You yeah. know, I know people that won't even have bank accounts because someone holding their money is a control over them and therefore they can't even do that. A lot of people that have been sexually abused are self-employed even going anywhere near now you know the deep-rooted mental health problems that occur mm -hmm. you know the anger the alcoholism the the, the uh, propensity for drug addiction especially heroin oh yes heroin being an analgesic and the one thing that no one ever talks about is the physical side of this so you'll always get these, these inquiries and these outspoken politicians or, or leads of social services saying about the mental health. But what about the physical elements? You know, if a man puts his penis in a little child's anus, he is going to damage them for life. He is going to do so much damage that that's irreparable. Mm -hmm. You know, I talk to, to men that cannot keep down a job because they defecate themselves because their sphincter muscle has been torn open and it won't be repaired. The sphincter muscle is is a collection of, of like a chain of muscles in a hoop. If you've got sphincter muscles in your stomach before and after your intestine, and, and the anus is a sphincter muscle, you rip that open, you breach those links of the chain, and it physically might look close, but it's not. Mm -hmm. It's not doing its job, and it will allow feces to go through unchallenged, and therefore people crap themselves, you know, to go in the vernacular. Yeah. Women with misaligned wounds, wounds that have been pushed out of shape and out of position, which causes terrible problems in pregnancy because a man's penis has been in there. And again, I'm concentrating on the men. Yeah. But when you find women that sexually abuse, they, 
sexually abused with with a ferocity uh, and a viciousness that men cannot muster. There's a very, very spiteful element in sexual abuse when a woman is involved. And we've seen two examples of horrific abuse by women in the last six months with these two children that were murdered by um, partners of the parents. Mm -hmm. So we saw one with this um, little baby star, I think it was, where the, the lesbian partner of the mother just brutalized this this poor little um, innocent child to death and we saw it again with this um, feckless moron who's um, had a young six-year-old boy and allowed his girlfriend to, to just torture this kid to death you, you, you know and this is what we see so what has come out of, of the, the government independent inquiry the IICSA which I'm proud to be a part of that um, in giving my evidence because my evidence went quite a way in amending how children in care are dealt with. So one of the main thing is that this goes on covertly. So you're, you're going to get police forces, social services and all that. And, and they, they do something very uniform is the word, right? And it's called cognitive dissonance. Mm -hmm. If I don't hear about it, it actually, it don't exist. And if I don't see it, it ain't there. And if no one talks about it, We've got away with that one. Yeah. So what you're seeing institutionally is, is there'll be no proactive approach in addressing this underbelly in society. And let me tell you now to all your listeners, this is massive. This is without a doubt the biggest threat to our society. It is what holds organized crime together. Don't ever, ever let anyone glamorize these gangsters. They're involved. There is a massive organized criminal element to this. And... There's a lot of corruption within the police to this, and and we see failings in so, uh, social services and the family courts and all sorts, which allows th th this machine to continue to operate, and it operates on a global scale, because children are a commodity. Now, now drugs can be used once, children can be used many many times, and it's all down to coerciveness and blackmail. So years ago, a politician. For example, he could be bullied if he was having an extramarital affair. Because back post-war, if you had an affair, that was appalling because it was a very virtuous society. But now no one even gets married, so that's sort of gone out the window. So that holds no, no coercion, right? And then if you was um, taking drugs, you know, um, now you're patted on the back. You know, you, you're sort of respected for taking drugs. See, you as a bit of a boyo or whatever. Whereas years ago, it was appalling, someone doing cocaine or heroin, my God. And then homosexuality. You know, we saw people like George Michael, you know, they tried to blackmail him and keeping his mouth shut about his, um, his sexuality. And he, he wouldn't because cause they knew, Sony knew that it would stop record sales and things like that. Um, so, so they could be bullied into silence. But n no more, that doesn't happen anymore. So that helped no control anymore whereas paedophilia is still shunned upon they're trying their best to make it normal and they are so if you can get someone having sex with a child boy or a girl that can and is used against them so we saw that in places like elm guest house where politicians were visiting we had home secretaries home secretary was even in you know in 
implemented and been involved in having sex with young boys there, you know, and the Home Secretary is in charge of the justice system, one down from the Prime Minister. We've seen five consecutive Prime Ministers who've had political advisors who've either been suspected of or convicted of paedophilia. You know, we had the head of our intelligence services, Sir Peter Wrighton, was a paedophile. So this is why it goes on and it's allowed to go on. This is why there is a need to denigrate the victims and survivors of abuse, keep them medicated, keep them on the, on their Prozac, keep them on heroin on the street. Because when they do that, they, they actually buy their silence and they discredit these people. So when they do speak out in a justice court, um, they can be easily, easily rubbished. 100%. Um, yeah, and I'd like to give a shout out quickly to Dr. Jessica Taylor as well um, on, on that note, who's doing absolutely wonderful work at the moment with saying, actually, why are we medicating, you know, these victims of abuse rather than actually tackling their trauma? John, I wanted to ask you, before we moved on to on to actually talking a little bit about the victims, um, this might be a bit of a controversial question, but being involved in law enforcement, have you ever seen any preventative measures taken on a paedophile that's actually worked? Is there anything that we can do to actually because as you know as a father of a young girl hearing these things that you're saying is absolutely terrifying is there anything that law enforcement in your opinion can do that actually works to prevent these paedophiles from offending yeah i mean there's a thing called the lucy faithful trust down in sutton in surrey there's a, a center where paedophiles house there and and they've done a lot of work with paedophiles most paedophiles have come from abuse Look at the works of FBI profiler Corinne Hotstabort, right? H-U-T-S-E-B-A-U-T. She has a 95% success rate in creating a non-offending environment for child murderers and paedophiles, 95%. So there is this 5% of total psychopathy. But with the police, not really, because what will happen is they get segregated they say for their own safety but it's also for the safety of the staff but the problem with segregation is that then you buy their silence so these paedophiles end up in their own little community away from anyone else and you can't then infiltrate them and get the information off of them they become a group Um, almost in themselves yeah yeah because they end up in in this enclosed environment if they're in general population they might then start disclosing information to other people because it is a secret society so they might just turn around and say look you know i've been to a sex party where there has been um, this politician or this head of the metropolitan police was there or whatever you know mm-hmm. uh, but when they're in their own little environment they don't say anything and, and it favors them not to say anything what should be happening is that they should never ever be treated as a victim until they've had restorative justice on their victims so they've put right what they've done wrong and they've supplied information which will help catch other offenders. So one of the things I did when I dealt with sex offenders, I was never horrible to them because I would get people would say, oh, I want to smash them, their face in. Well, what's the point of a, you know, of a police officer smashing someone's face in? Firstly, you're going to lose your job and make up prison for it. And then you want that person to talk. Now, if you smash their face in, they're not going to talk. Well, what's the point of that? So one paedophile potentially can give you five more. Yeah. And then likewise and likewise, likewise. So in respect to um, have I seen anything? Well, only in as much as, you know, recruit them as informants and get them to talk. Yeah, brilliant. 
but um, a lot of that will be down to to the prison system. There's um, a book called Living with a Beast by an ex-criminal called um, Terry Ellis, and he goes on about HMP Grendon, which um, has got this this sort of um, centre that does deal with reform and stopping people reoffending, and most of them are sex offenders. But what you have to do is you have to heal the, the broken child. And once you heal the broken child inside, then you can move forward. Um, but if you don't heal the broken child, it's going to fail. Statistically, and here is is a fact that 95% of sex offenders on release from their sentence reoffend within four hours. So, so, you know, in, in the justice system in general, it's got an 80% recidivism rate, reoffending rate, 80%. So it doesn't work anyway. So, so there should be um, more effort put in to preventing these people from reoffending, and if it means that they get treatment, then I'm for it because, you know, if they're allowed to to continue, you know, operating unresolved, they're they're going to create many many victims, and a, a prolific paedophile can create as much as one thousand victims yeah. indirectly in in his or her lifetime. If you're like me, for instance, you know, and you go through the court case and all of this kind of stuff only to end up with nothing on the other side. The problem is we are finding, especially a lot of the people that we're speaking with, a lot of these victims just don't have trust in the system. So do you think that we need a complete revamp for the victims or do you think it's about working more with the victims or working more with the uh, with the perpetrators of these crimes? Where do you think we can actually sort of fix this system or is it just a case of we need a whole review on this well listen it's what a case of the public gets what the public wants historic child abuse cases going through the court have always had a success rate of two percent always within that two percent i had an 80 percent success rate what we're seeing is a fact of the matter is the police are losing their trade craft there is not enough investment in proper detectives we are are seeing the opposite occurring. We're seeing less and less police on the streets. We're seeing less and less trained detectives. Joining the police is not a lifestyle anymore. So you're getting more gradual entries that just really doing it for the experience. And then they're leaving. When I joined, you did it as a job and it was taken seriously. And and when you went into departments like child abuse, it was always massively underfunded and horrendously overworked. Whereas other departments, like anti-terrorism, the opposite was going on. So what we need is we need a proper home secretary that puts children first, puts child abuse investigations as number one priority, invests in proper, proper training for police. They should be trained. They should have profilers working with them. They should have statement analysis. They should be looking more towards the forensic stuff that is going to nail these paedophiles. And then when they are caught, sanctions should be put on so severe like they should never be allowed on social media or any recording device. And they should be heavily monitored. And any violation, they are back inside. Really start clamping down. And if they don't provide information, there is no way they are getting any assistance whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So it should be mandatory that these people grasp up other people and so forth. So I think from a criminal justice point of view, right, and this does go on, to, to victims' codes of conduct, child abuse should be number one, number one priority when it comes to crime fighting. 
and it and it should be properly properly managed and trained and the coppers doing it they should look after them because it's hard work yeah you know i take my hat off to any child abuse investigator and i do you know we need to talk about this it needs to come out and we 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 can't also distance ourselves from the fact that there are a greater percentage in the victim community than the non-victim community who go on to abuse their own children. We can't walk away from that. And I'm in no way saying, and I want to stress it from the bottom of my heart, because I'm loyal to victims and survivors and and I've walked through fire for them, that I'm saying that they're paedophiles. No way. No way am I saying that. But if you've been hurt, if you've been beaten as a kid, you will have a great propensity to beat your kids. But then there'll be others that will, will, will be totally the other way and will never, ever harm a kid because they know the pain of it. Yeah. You know, um, well, so- the thing is, as well, um, you know, as you talked about earlier, even if they don't go on to damage other people, a lot of the times these victims go on to damage themselves, as you said, through drugs and through other means. We got to look at this, you know, and we got to look at the damage that drug addiction does to society. How much money do we plough into medicating people? I mean, it's pointless. What is causing depression? I know a guy. He's been on Prozac antidepressants for twenty years. So I said, "Why are you on them?" When they helped me, I said, "Well, how have they helped you? You're still on them?" Yeah, twenty I mean, years if later. I took anti- yeah, yeah. If I took antibiotics for an infection in my body. And 20 years out, I'm still taking them. Well, surely they're not working. Mm. But what? why are you on any? What has gone wrong in your life? And we have all different factors, pride being one of them. Oh, it never happened to me. The demasculization of the realization that you were sexually abused as a man. Again, yeah. there are certain macho parts of our community. We've got people that have, have come from macho cultures yeah. You know, well, I, um, I've said it before uh, here, John, as a victim myself, you know, the, the the when you talk about sexual abuse, almost instantly a lot of the general public go towards young girls being abused. And then there's almost this other extra step you have to take as a male victim to kind of speak out about these things, you know. But the thing is, when you do speak out, you know, my mate. He was sexually abused, and but he was a campaigner. And he used to always say it happened to my brothers and sisters. And one day he said to me, I want to tell you, I, I, I was badly abused, John. And I said, yeah, I, of course you was, I know. You didn't have to tell me that, I know, you know. Mm. And I said, do you know what, why don't why don't you do an interview and, and, and tell people? And he did. And, you know, I said, you're, you're going to bring a lot of comfort if you say it. A lot of comfort is coming your way. And he did. And it was a real sort of um, change, you know. You're going to find that it's the main contributing factor to to probably a lot of the world's problems. I mean, I've dealt with victims and survivors of satanic ritual abuse, and that takes it really to a global stage, to a political stage, to a military stage as well. It's ancient, it's gone on, and it, it it will continue because no one goes near it, no one wants to talk about it. But the powers to be, they've used it and they've always used it. And it's absolutely appalling uh, what goes on. But when we look at our leaders, uh, ones that have gone to to these elite fee-paying schools where they've been fed a diet of beatings and buggery, you know, I spoke to one guy who is the son of of a well-known lord and his own father sexually abused him. 
and then he was sent to Eton, and he was raped by the older boys under the fagging system in Eton. He spoke out against it, so he was he was caned so violently he was hospitalised, and then he was put under the the guidance of a monsignor, a religious mentor, who went on to only rape him, and he, and he turned around and said, "You know, this is Eton." So, so if that's happened to you. On, on that level, and especially in that upper class community, where really I feel sorry for him because he said to me, he said, most of the people you talk to are from the lower and the working classes, John, aren't they? And I went, yeah. He said, but what about us from the upper and the ruling classes? He said, well, we don't even get listened to. He said, I'd welcome the chance to be rubbished by a call. At least I'd have a say. He said, the police wouldn't even talk to me, yeah, you know, shocking. because of who my father was and who he was connected with. Absolutely and because shocking. it. it, it and it controls politics. So if it controls politics on a domestic level, well, it's definitely going to do it on an international level. 100%. I've said I've said this so many times in speeches, but it's absolutely obscene to believe that if you can pay somebody that you can't have influence over them. Well, well it's always worked. I mean, anyone you know who wastes their time watching a James Bond film will, will see that it's all based on, on espionage, bribery and psychopathy. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I mean, when when you watch the films of Richard Curtis, there's always this, and even like the, the Blackadder thing, you, there is always this um, subtext of elite buggery and, and beatings. You know, and we and it's this elite club. Oh, it happened to me. You know, never did me any harm. You know, took one for the regiment and yes. took a crumpet from behind without blubbing and all this nonsense. Well, what does that mean? Well, I know exactly what that means. That you've been buggered. You know, in in school and. These are people that are divested from their mother, so there's no matriarchal influence, there's no love. You imagine doing that to an animal, you know, ripping it away from its mother, shoving things up its rectum, and then kicking it day in, day out. I mean, there wouldn't be a human being would be able to get its hand near its mouth without him ripping it off. Yeah. And then these people go on to positions of privilege, power. Mm. We accosted Boris Johnson. We said, come on, Boris. I said, I told him who I was. And he went, no, yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. Because Theresa May knew who I was. She'd mentioned me in the house a few times. And it, and I said, well, come on, this is appalling what's happening. What are you going to do? And he turned around and said, John, it's nothing to do with me. Nothing to do with me. I really don't want to know. And he just stormed past us. You know, on the LB, LBC interview, when he was asked about historic child abuse, he considered the £60 million that was spent investigating these historic crimes as, as money spat up a wall. Well, I mean, what's the connotation of spat? Spunking, ejaculating? I mean, what an appalling thing. And where's he come from? Eton. You know, the absolute epicenter, the breeding ground of of these people and where it's from. So what compassion is he going to have? What thought is he going to have for the survivors and all that? He's not. He's going to be very brutal about it. And this is an unbalanced mind. So if we go back to what I mentioned earlier in here, if... We we take the inference here that Johnson, Boris Johnson, has been through the same baptism of fire as as this Lord, son of a Lord I spoke to. There may be a chance that Boris Johnson is an early years victim of sexual abuse. There may be. I'm not saying there is. I'm just hypothesizing here. Now, if there is, that's an emotionally broken man. Should he really be running our country? So they could be set through a process of psychometric testing to weed out if there is any liking for for paedophilia or whatever. And the other thing is polygraph test them. They're almost absolute now 
stick these leaders through a polygraph test and see if they have a sexual liking for children or they're connected to paedophiles or they've ever covered up for a paedophile, blah, blah, blah. We could do that. Very simple, straightforward. And well, they, the excuse they always seem to give about polygraphs, John, is seem, it seems to be that psychopaths are able to pass them. But when you actually look into the data on this, you know, they don't seem to be able to pass every single question, like you say. And even if you just use them for information and research purposes, you know, surely that is better than leaving victims hanging, isn't it? Well, of course it is. And, and again, they're using, you know, this tiny little caveat and exploding it in, into a big argument. You know, and, and what does psychopathy equate for in our society? 2% of our society are, are, are people of psychopathy, right? So again, we're, we're putting the whole emphasis on the smallest common denominator. We shouldn't be doing it. Okay, we'll never be able to filter some of this out. You know, for me, I would also, I would also ask some questions. Do they worship the devil? because satanic ritual abuse has been shown to have had an influence on politics in the past, right? Um, and, and the reigns list goes a long way to prove that. But, you know, on the whole, the most of the people aren't going to be psychopaths, and, and it, will, it will go a long way. The people are always going to get through the net. Nothing is ever absolute, but at least make an effort. Yeah. But to allow, you know, five consecutive prime ministers with political advisors who have who have got connections to paedophilia shocking you know yeah. when you've got people like bishop ball you know who, who was found to have sexually abused to annually rape many many young boys allowed to get away with it because prince charles covered for him yeah. and prince charles refused to give evidence to the independent inquiry we have to look no further, really, than the current Labour leader, Keir Starmer, just just to sort of look at it and, and kind of go, yeah, OK, I understand in courts of law, you know, these people need to be defended. You know, somebody has to defend them. But should these people who are defending paedophiles really then be going on to positions of power, like possibly leading the country? I, I just personally don't think that they should. Well, well, um, you know, Rhys Mogg's father is on, on the range list, the range list of satanic abusers. I mean, look at the, you know, the allegations around Keith Vaz. Mm-hmm. You know, and when Keith Vaz left, I mean, he was exposed to have a liking for rent boys and cocaine. What's he doing as leader of the, the Home Affairs Select Committee? And his part in words were something in the line of people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. Well, drag him back and ask him what he means. He's clearly alluding to the fact that there are other paedophiles in society so you, you know ted heath our prime minister you know mike veal the bravest chief constable this country's ever had um went on to investigate him and had 33 um victims of this bloke and he said if he'd have um, been alive today you know the evidence was so overwhelming without a doubt it would have convicted him not of just sexual abuse of boys but also his connection to satanic abuse Shocking. and he was prime minister it would have filtered him out yeah. There is no safeguarding. It is it is hypocrisy from top to bottom, um, and all we are doing is, is just just hiding away from it all. It really is. It's it, the, the elephant in the room, and until we wake up, our society is just going to be polluted more and more and more. 
what we hope is by sort of opening conversations like this and having them on platforms like ours that, you know, I mean, our listeners here will know we've never shied away from having victims of SRA on. We're happy to talk about everything because I just, I still have faith, you know, whether that's ill put or not, you know, in the general public that they do have the common sense to actually look at this and go, this is wrong. John, I've kept you for a long time, a lot longer than I said I would today, but I just wanted to move on to something just a little bit more positive. Obviously, a lot of our listeners here will know you from your YouTube channel and obviously you do give survivors a platform to speak as well as yourself. What are you planning to do sort of moving forward with this and you know what can we do the listener to kind of help you with it? Right well you know I went away for a little while and I've pretty much come back as a, as a lone entity with, with a group of people that come in as individuals and support. What we are doing now is we're taking this to another level so if people want to come forward with their testimonies, I will still do that. I've done a lot of work recently with people in America that they're a lot more in advance in us in speaking out about organized abuse and also satanic ritual abuse. I've got a team of brilliant uh, professionals with me now, many of them ex-military, some ex-police, and what we've been doing is um, where people have really, really been failed appallingly by the justice system. We've been looking into reinvestigating the cases for them. We have got forensic capabilities now at our hand, our disposal. We recently took on a case of two missing children. We re- re-interviewed the witnesses. It's going back many years now. Um, there was a big cover-up around it. And the information we end up getting from from statement taking and linking in with the police. So so we will work with the police. Um, we'll give them every opportunity to work alongside us as well. On the whole, they tend to be very arrogant and not want to know. And we located um, what is believed to be a shallow grave where one, at least of the two boys, may be buried. And this was on a bit of land under government control. The police prevented us from getting on there, but we took, we took it high, we took it... To, right to the top to Deputy Prime Minister who ordered that our team be let on. Uh, we had cadaver dogs, we had brown penetrating radar experts. Um, the site has now been handed over to uh, anthropologists and archaeologists who are now ex- excavating the land and the government are paying for it. So we're doing stuff like that in statements we all then supply to the police. We mount surveillance operations if we hear that there is ritualistic abuse going on. We research it and so we're doing some Brilliant, brilliant work, but everything is very covert now. I do not publicise anything of what I'm doing. I do updates via my Facebook and my YouTube, give a pricey of events. But again, I'm incredibly guarded because before I was too open and we were attacked massively by active Satanists. They're very strange individuals. They're very embittered, spiteful people. And what they'll do is they'll transcribe this interview word for word. They'll go through and see if it, anyway I've um, alluded to any ongoing cases if I have they report me to the Attorney General if I um, or they report me to the police and this is what they do they're, they're, they're twisted individuals and so I've got to be very very mindful and again same with the trolling you get um, the trolls try and shine negative light on what you're doing um, set up alternative groups contra to what you're doing to try and discredit you but um None of them have ever succeeded. They won't succeed. Yeah. But we are we are doing a lot of good work. And um, 
you know, I'm so grateful for the team I've got at the moment. But, but my email address is John Wedger, J O N Wedger, W E D G E R, foundation at gmail.com. Uh, John Wedger Foundation on Facebook. And I think it's just John Wedger Channel on YouTube. If there's anything you think I might be able to help you with, please drop me a line. I can't guarantee it. I can't guarantee I'll get back to you. I can't guarantee I can help you. But um, if you've been failed monumentally by the justice system and there's information that, that is absolutely glaring that the police haven't looked at, I could possibly help with that. If there's active ritual abuse stuff going on, we will always listen to the intelligence on that and we might be able to progress that. But everything we do now, we report to the police. Um, I always encourage people to come forward if they've not reported it. Please report it to the police. And hopefully by having conversations like this as well, you know, we can continue to build a network of, of us together. And as always, John, you know, we, we are here to support you guys as well. If you need anything, you're always welcome here on the show. And more importantly than that, you know, even, even if one survivor hears this today and it makes them feel like they're not alone because we're talking about these issues, then to me, it's worth it. God bless all victims and survivors. You know, it weren't your fault. Those that did it chose to do it. They chose to do it. They had a choice. You didn't. And the other thing, and I, I implore people from the bottom of my heart, please, please, survivors, victims, do not attack each other. And do not attack people doing good work. Please don't do it. Please don't stick together and unite. Don't one survivor group attack the other. Please, please, you have to stop that. That culture is very immature and it's destructive. No good comes out of it. You know, we all want to be heard. Everyone wants justice. But if you fight each other, the system wins and it all crumbles. I agree. 100%. John, thank you so much for being with us here today. Sorry I've taken up so much of your time, but we really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get together in the future and do some more work. But until then, thank you very much, John, for your time. And God bless you all. And, and, and you know, and all your endeavours, may they all prosper. And uh, thank you so much for the platform. Even if you are a 